Business Commission held on February 28th, 2022. The meeting is being called to order at 4.30 p.m. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGovTV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGovTV2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. Members of the public who will be calling in, the number is 415-655-0001, access code 2487-601-5734. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comment is called, you'll be added to the queue. When you are called for public comment, please mute the device you are listening to the meeting on. When it's your turn to speak, you'll be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker unless otherwise established by the presiding officer of the meeting. An alarm will sound once the time has finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGovTV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Today, we will begin with the reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. The Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, particularly at this time, you can find us online or via telephone. And as always, our services are free of charge. Before item number one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGovTV TV for coordinating this virtual hearing and the live stream. A special thanks to Matthew Agnow and Maria Pena, who will be running the meeting. Please call item number one. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Dickerson is absent. Commissioner Huey. Here. President Laguana. Here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Here. Vice President Zizunas? Present. President, you have a quorum. Wonderful. Next item, please. Oh, uh, uh, sorry. We uh, we need to do the Ramaytush Ohlone land acknowledgement. Vice President Zizunas, will you read the Ramaytush Ohlone land acknowledgement, please? Would be my honor. The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business Staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Great, thank you so much. Next item, please. Item two, SF Compassionate Alternative Response Team presentation. This is a discussion item. Presenting today, we have Kristen Evans from Booksmith and Vinnie Eng from Safer Together San Francisco. 
The commission will hear a presentation about the compassionate alternative response team in San Francisco, which will provide de-escalation and support to unhoused members in crisis and the work they will do as it relates to small business. And I'm currently trying to help Finney connect um, if he's not already on. So Kristen, I know you are here. Do you want to start? I believe you're muted. Okay, sorry, I was on another call, so I just want to make sure you were asking for me. Yeah. Um, okay, great. We're, we're still trying to get uh, Vinny to connect, so um, I don't know if you wanted to add some opening remarks. Um, and by the way, Kristen, it's good to see and hear from you, and looking forward to seeing and hearing from Vinny as well. Sounds great. Um, I think we'll just wait until Vinny comes. Okay. okay. He's Oh, I wonder if he's, nope. Hang on one minute. It's good to see all of you. We're in the middle of the item. Should we go to uh, perhaps go to recess for a minute until we can get Benny connected? Or um, director, do you have guidance here? I think we could just give it one minute. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he said he's having technical challenges. That is the song of the age. Okay. In that case, then uh, I recommend we, we might be able to move on to another item and come back to this one. Sounds fine with me. Okay. Put a pause in this item and come back to item number two. Can you, uh, uh, why don't we do some of the shorter items, uh, starting with item number four. Okay, item four, approval of the draft meeting minutes. Commissioners, are there any comments or questions on the minutes? Okay, uh, Matthew, is there any public commenters on the line about item number four on the minutes? Currently I have two people listening, but none reason. Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Uh, we need a motion to pass the minutes. Oh, of course. Uh, I move to pass the minutes. Can I get a second? I second. Thank you. Okay, I'll read the roll. Commissioner Huey. Yes. President Laguana. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zazunas. Yes. Motion passes with four votes and one absence. Great. Uh, next item, please. Uh, this would be item number five. 
Item five, general public comment discussion item allows members of the public to comment generally on matters that within are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction, but not on today's calendar and suggest new agenda items for the commission's future consideration. Is there any members of the public that would like to make any comments on items that are not on today's agenda? Matthew, can you let us know if anybody raises their hand? Currently, there's no one in the public comment. Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, this is an unusual uh, situation. I'm going to tell him. He, I'm going to tell him to call in, perhaps. Yeah, that might be the appropriate way to go. Um, I don't want to start an action item. Uh, director, how do you feel about? Uh, making the director's report. Sure, I can go ahead and do that. Okay. Uh, it, uh, it's also relatively short, so okay. hopefully that'll work for our timing here. Item six, please. Item six, director's report, presentation and discussion item. All right, so um, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, just wanted to send a reminder that on March 14th, which is right around the corner, our commission meeting will be in person. Uh, and so that'll be at room 400, which is the fourth floor of City Hall. Uh, at that time, we may likely be um, welcoming another commissioner, uh, a new commissioner, and some of you uh, may have not uh, done an in-person meeting yet. So this will be uh, exciting for all of us. If you have any uh, questions, concerns, or any accommodation issues that you want us to be aware of, just uh, please be sure to let me and Carrie know. Um, so on that note, I also want to share that tomorrow at the full Board of Supervisors meeting, uh, the board will be considering the appointment of Tiffany Walker-Carter as uh, uh, the board appointee to fill the vacancy on this commission um, for the seat that was uh, previously vacated by uh, former Commissioner Kathleen Dooley. So um, Tiffany uh, Walker-Carter, she is the owner of uh, restaurant Burj Kali and a member of SF Black Wall Street. Um, and we are excited uh, that she may be joining us soon uh, and is likely gonna be sworn in by President Walton on Wednesday. Um, in terms of the city's uh, rent relief program, so as some of you may have heard, um, OEWD has launched a rent relief program uh, for businesses that have uh, experienced hardships uh, throughout the pandemic in terms of uh, rent payments. And uh, as of today, OEWD has received about 249 applications. Um, so this definitely exceeds the uh, originally anticipated amount of awards, which is 50 grants. Uh, to be provided to businesses uh, for rent relief, again, due to COVID um, pandemic uh, impacts. And so um, certainly we know that this is a very popular program and um, anticipate we won't be able to fulfill um, all of the applicants' requests. Um, but just wanted to let you know about that progress. And then at tomorrow's um, full Board of Supervisors meeting, also just wanted to highlight that the board is considering um, a couple of things, one being the family-friendly workplace ordinance. Uh, this is something that um, you have actually already weighed in on, and we provided a set of recommendations to uh, the sponsor, Supervisor Connie Chan's office. And we are continuing to work uh, with them even um, from, from this point through tomorrow to see if uh, any of those amendments can be adopted 
um, which we have all suggested. So um, that's at tomorrow's full board meeting. And um, I won't go into too much detail about some of the other ones, but um, I know that this uh, commission had weighed in on the graffiti abatement ordinance, provided also some uh, set of recommendations for supervisors Pe Supervisor Peskin's office to consider. Uh, we think it may go to committee on March 10th, uh, and we're still continuing um, to work with their office on amendments, potential amendments, and um, have am also uh, aware that Supervisor um, Stephanie is interested in some of the Small Business Commission recommendations on that front. So um, those are things I wanted to share for uh, today and happy to answer any questions um, or take any other comments at this time. Thank you. Great. Commissioners, uh, do we have any comments or questions? Oh, oh thank you, Director. Uh, I'll just ask, um, as, as the changing requirements for masks and, and otherwise um, are coming or have come and, you know, are changing on a state level every day, uh, how are we getting information of small businesses who want to, um, you know, retain their own kind of set of rules or need help enforcing existing ones. Um, I just haven't seen any really clear, like, clear guidance being dis disseminated. So I wanted to see if I'm missing something. Well, thank you for that. Um, we did send out, once the health order had changed in San Francisco, we sent out an e-blast to our small business uh, list, which is uh, quite large, uh, to explain that, um, you know, what the new uh, rules are and that businesses have the choice to go above and beyond and implement even stricter requirements if they so choose to. So, for example, if they still choose to require masks indoors, even though it's not an eating or drinking establishment, they certainly can. Uh, we've also posted that item and are posting all of our e-blast items as news items on our new OSB webpage so that people can continue to refer to that. And we've also um, have new staff in our office who's helped us really uh, beef up our social media messaging as well. So if there's anything you feel like is still not getting out there, we're open to suggestions. Uh, but those were some of the channels that we went through uh, to publicize this information alongside um, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. They, they did something similar as well. Okay, yeah, I, I actually do remember um, that email that went out and congrats on the, the upgraded website and everything. That's really exciting. The website looks phenomenal. Really, really good. Uh, any other commissioner comments or questions? Okay. Is there any public commenters on the line on the director's report? There is no other line for the comment. Hmm. Okay. Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. And Vinny's on the phone, so we can go back to our presentation. Okay, perfect. Uh, so we will go back to item number two now. Okay, I'm just going to read the title again for everybody who may have joined. Item 2SF, Compassionate Alternative Response Team Presentation. Vinny, are you able to unmute your mic? Hi, good afternoon, uh, Commission. 
So okay. let me pull up let me pull up your slideshow. Can everybody see this? We can. It's not in presentation mode, though. Okay, hang on. Ah. Good afternoon. I, I apologize for the technical difficulties. I, I appreciate your patience and thank you for your consideration this afternoon. Not a problem. It happens. It's modern life these days. <laughs> Am I still sharing my screen? You are not. Okay, give me one minute. You know, it's not going to let me um, do the. Um... That's fine. Just uh, how you're doing okay. before is fine. Okay. All right. Benny, you can just say next slide and I will move it down. Okay, great. Um, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Vinny Eng. Um, really glad to see some of your faces this afternoon. Uh, I'm speaking as a as a citizen and a resident of San Francisco, not affiliated with any organization this afternoon, but as a member of the coalition of individuals and and community organizations in support of the Compassionate Alternative Response Team. So I thank you for your time. Um, uh, next slide, please. Um, we we in San Francisco have been confronted with a, a longstanding uh, issue over, over many years now, which is the, the growing um, challenge of homelessness on our streets. And uh, over many policy cycles and budget cycles, um, different bodies uh, of the city and county of San Francisco have identified that police as a first response to non-emergency service calls related to homelessness um, is not effectively exiting individuals out of homelessness. Um, in 2019, over 65,000 homeless-related calls were dispatched um, and uh, uh, responded to by SFPD. These are 65,000 non-emergency calls. In that same year, there were 27 um, SFPD homeless outreach team members sort of allocated to respond to very specific areas of the city at about an estimated cost of $4.85 million. Um, the, the, the circular conversations around how ineffective this response has been resulted in uh, 2019, a unanimous resolution at the police commission level uh, supported by the, the chief uh, Bill Scott, as well as many community advocates um, who all agreed that policing was a costly, ineffective and punitive response and that um, a community convening needed to happen um, to come up with a proposal for a different response. Um, you know, sort of at this time, just for context, these sea level calls 
have a median response time of about 83 minutes. That's well over an hour. And that response time has been pretty intractable over the last decade. Uh, next slide, please. As part of this convening, uh, many uh, academic experts who study the issue of police violence as well as alternative responses to policing were convened with uh, community service providers as well as um, uh, a, a number of, of, of community organizations that advocate for homelessness to discuss uh, a solution. And they came up with uh, a report that was uh, shared with a number of commissioners here uh, when it was first released uh, in the fall of, of 2021 called the Com Compassionate Alternative Response Team. Um, its primary goals are to eliminate police as the first and primary responders to non-emergency calls for service involving unhoused people, um, to increase safety for unhoused and housed people, uh, and to reduce the harm and trauma inflicted to ongoing exposure to street level experiences and street level conflict between unhoused and housed neighbors. Um, an additional goal of the compassionate uh, alternative response team proposal was to build neighborhood capacity by investing in a community-led, community-based uh, dispatch response so that housed neighbors and businesses can more effectively and more thoughtfully respond to street-level challenges that uh, result in care and not criminalization of poverty. Uh, next slide, please. The co coalition continues to grow. Um, after the initial proposal was released, we continued to advocate for its implementation um, and uh, its operationalization uh, through city agencies. And um, you can just see a, a, a small assortment of the community organizations that support this approach. Um, also in, er, in 2021, we received the unanimous support of uh, all 11 Board of Supervisors members on a policy resolution supporting uh, an alternative response like CART in principle. And it resulted in um, an allocation of just over $3 million to implement the first phase of this plan. Um, to date, that money is still allocated, but has not been spent. And um, we're happy to come before the, 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 the Small Business Commission to, uh, to dialogue about why a plan like this is so important for small business operators and their workers, um, and to ask that you support uh, the program and its design. Um, in, 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 in recognition of the precious time that we have, I'm going to skip the next three slides. Terry? Uh, hey, uh, Vinny. Uh, yes. You know, I'd encourage you to just go ahead and walk through those those three slides. We actually have an unusually light agenda today, and uh, we have uh, time to learn more about this. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you, Board President. I I, I was uh, I wanted to just be mindful of your time. I'm happy to go back to the program design slide, Terry. Great. She's there now. Okay, great. So, sorry, I'm on my phone, so I don't have a visual cue. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, the design, the, the program was designed in collaboration in a consensus-based uh, process, typically with sort of reforms involving police. Uh, community members are often brought in after reforms, reforms are proposed. And so part of the, um, the value of the, the development of the CART proposal was that uh, stakeholders were convened before a solution was proposed. And 
this is a, a truly remarkable uh, process because it really allowed stakeholders to have meaningful conversations around what a solution would look like with um, communities at the center. And so the design of this uh, compassionate alternative response team is that um, a community-based organization, um, not a city agency, but, but a nonprofit um, would provide the street response whenever calls are made for service. Um, these teams would be dispatched um, by uh, uh, the, the, the organization fulfilling the role um, and they would respond to calls either through um, calls diverted um, from 911 or 311 and transferred to that particular agency and their dispatch and or a direct hotline where residents, business operators, and workers can call directly for a, a response to a situation involving someone that is unhoused or, or experiencing homelessness. Um, like I mentioned, uh, this approach um, was based on a study of um, nearly two dozen similar alternative responses around the country and throughout the world and the best practices from those programs were applied to the framework of San Francisco because we know that the city has such a unique landscape um, here, not only with regards to our, our city infrastructure, but our, our community of nonprofit providers and service providers that um, support the homelessness and the housing insecure. Um, the Board of Supervisors, like I mentioned, approved a unanimous policy resolution in support of CART in 2021 and allocated $3 million for its inception. Based on our studies, we believe that the annual budget to respond to um, 60,000 calls would be approximately $6.825 million. Um, as I mentioned, uh, through a series of, of conversations and negotiations through the budgeting process, the Board of Supervisors allocated just over uh, $3 million to do a smaller scale version of CART um, in a line item at the discretion of the mayor's office. Um, at the moment, that, that, that budget uh, is sitting in the Department of Emergency Management and the coalition that um, developed CART would very much like to see that that money be administered through an RFC process through the Department of Public Health where uh, there are a spectrum of street level wellness and behavioral health response programs that are already um, operationalized. Uh, next slide, please. As I mentioned in this two prong approach, there would be a, a person in crisis response, which would be the immediate response when someone calls for service. This would include conflict resolution, de-escalation. Um, for example, if, if an individual was sleeping in the doorway um, and then uh, a, a house resident or business owner could call into and request for a CART team to help resolve and do a warm handoff uh, for that individual to be directly connected to a service. Um, I'm very specific here. CART is not a care navigation service. We are a, a street response service, a conflict resolution service, and a de-escalation service that would provide a warm handoff to a very Byzantine system of homeless response um, uh, providers who have access to provide referrals to services and shelter beds. The second prong of CART is that this would be investing in 
um, building community capacity. We know that most of the city's responses to homelessness are, are targeted to very specific neighborhoods. However, small businesses and homelessness are issues that uh, are prevalent in every corner of the city. And, and um, a response in the Richmond or a response in the Sunset could look very differently than a response in the Tenderloin or in Soma or in OMI. And so the second prong of a CART approach is education. Um, to, uh, to invest in community capacity, to do community outreach, to understand where the pockets of service are and how homelessness is manifesting very differently in the Richmond than say in the Tenderloin. You know, there are a lot of individuals um, who live in SROs who are technically classified as homeless under, under certain agencies because of their lack of, um, because of their limited uh, uh, infrastructure in the buildings that they live in. So part of the CART approach is to strengthen the community response so that we can prevent things from becoming a crisis and prevent an unnecessary burdening of the emergency response system. Uh, next slide, please. <clears throat> Um, Carrie, I'm not sure if, if Kristen Evans is here uh, on the call. Yeah. Oh, great. So I wanted to segue to um, uh, business owner Kristen Evans to provide a little bit of uh, a case study examination of what a, uh, a community-led intervention might look like. Thank you, Vinny. So, hey, everybody. I'm Kristen Evans. Um, I am the owner of Booksmith, which is an independent bookstore um, that I've had in Haight-Ashbury since 2007. And uh, the bar restaurant, the Alembic next door. Um, I, I was a founding member of the Haight-Ashbury Merchants Association and have been a board member uh, since it was founded for now more than a, a decade. And um, you know, as, as Vinny Met said, homelessness looks a little bit differently in different commercial corridors. And the hate has its very specific type of challenges around homelessness. Um, but one of the things that, you know, we hear always from customers, from employees, um, and from homeless individuals themselves is that uh, there really is a lack of um, uh, immediate response when there's uh, a situation like this that Vinny's describing, that someone is blocking an entranceway, that someone is um, urinating, defecating, maybe having um, some type of crisis that isn't, doesn't rise to the level of requiring paramedic care, but maybe is a kind of slowly deteriorating situation over time. Um, but one, one thing that we really truly need is um, an alternative to, to um, the police. And I, and I would say additionally, the, the, the paramedics, right? So um, the, those resources do not um, have uh, the ability to connect people into uh, case management, social work, and a path off the street. Um, those resources are primarily reserved for the hot team, which does not come to the hate regularly. Um, and it is a primary, they're primarily reserved for the, for HSOC. 
um, the Healthy Street Operations Team, which again also does not frequent the Hate Ashbury. Um, so I know that the Hate is similar to North Beach and Castro and some other um, neighborhood commercial corridors that are frequented by residents and tourists alike. And um, one of the, the solutions that we've had, I wanted to give a case example, uh, was an organization called Taking It to the Streets, which is no longer in operation. But I wanted to describe for the brief time that they were operating, how valuable um, a partner they were in our commercial corridor. So it, it was a local organization started by a merchant. Um, they recruited people from the neighborhood who were experiencing homelessness to do graffiti abatement um, and garbage collection. And for, in exchange for that service, they were provided housing in a, in a hotel. And um, you can see all how that was like a very win-win-win in the sense that it provided the individuals with a place to be that was sanctioned um, and a, a real benefit for uh, a service that was much needed in the neighborhood. Um, the, the main thing that I want to talk about how it's similar, how it was similar to CART is that it was a person that had a, a point of contact in the neighborhood. Um, somebody with a cell phone that, that knew the people in our immediate, you know, eight blocks of the Haight-Ashbury commercial corridor, um, knew that 80 to 100 people that are experiencing homelessness in our neighborhood and knew them, you know, by, often by name. Knew, knew how long they had been experiencing homelessness, some of the challenges that that person might be experiencing, whether that would be, you know, addiction or mental health or other challenges. Um, and it was a person who could, you know, essentially work with individuals on a path to exit homelessness and problem solve around reducing, you know, challenges related to um, encampments or a lot of times in the hate, it manifests not in the form of like, physical tents, but rather we have like large groups of people that will gather and block sidewalks. So in terms of like working with individuals to, you know, reduce belongings, um, to avoid blockages of the sidewalk or doorways, um, you know, th these are things that, as I said, police, like, like, like the, the alternatives are you basically call the police who are essentially being taken away from you know, pursuing other important things like in, in our neighborhood, you know, the police should be really focused on things like ensuring, you know, pedestrian safety and reducing, you know, speeding and things along those lines and responding to car break-ins should not really be responding to issues of people blocking the sidewalk, right? That the people that are in the best position to have these conversations are people that really know the folks and can help negotiate and ma manage, um, and, and, and I've been used words like de-escalate and um, basically is like, you know, harm reduction approach, but for the, for the street, right, for the street culture um, to really tamp down any like things that are going on. So, um, you know, this is something that the Haight-Ashbury Merchants Association has really missed since, um, taking it to the streets program was wound down. Um, and uh, as I said, we really, besides calling 911 for a police response or a paramedic response, really lack this type of um, uh, 
less costly, more um, targeted and very impactful response to addressing homelessness in our community. And I'll hand it back to you, Benny. Uh, thank you so much, Kristen. Um, that next slide, please. Um, <clears throat> it might be a, a little premature, but because I'm sure you all have questions for us, but I just wanted to sort of share with the commission our, our ask, you know, um, we'd, we'd love to continue to be in dialogue with you, but we, we would appreciate your consideration for an endorsement of the proposal um, that for advocating for not only operators, but their workers who are looking for a more effective and community-based citywide response. Um, we, are, we are unfairly burdening a lot of small business workers with being, you know, putting them in a really uncomfortable position um, by not giving them effective response resources um, to sustainably resolve a lot of these street level issues. Um, we're asking uh, that you help us convene a, a thoughtful meeting between small business owners and the mayor um, and to support an RFP process run by the SF Department of Public Health. You know, with the advent of the street crisis response team, we've made a lot of strides to respond to the individuals on our streets who are, who are closest to harm and very much uh, frequent users of our, 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 our uh, behavioral health systems, but there are, are, are a number of individuals living on the street that are not yet at crisis that deserve just as much care and consideration. And we believe that there is an enormous amount of uh, compassion within our, our community to provide another layer of support on the spectrum of services to, to increase um, the livability of our city and to, to increase um, the, the, the ability for small business owners to feel supported in their day-to-day -day operations. So with that, uh, next slide, please, Carrie. Um, I, I, I yield back to the commission for any questions. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for the wonderful presentation and all the background information. Um, I think it would be a good time to uh, remind both the commission and the public and our presenters uh, that uh, starting last month and, and over the next couple of months, we are hearing a, a number of different ideas uh, at the request of, of many people in the small business community uh, about how to address public safety in our commercial corridors. Um, I just wanna make sure everybody understands that we're not just considering any one proposal, um, but we're looking at, at a wide variety of, of different approaches to the problems of public safety in our commercial corridors. Um, for our presenters, I, I wanna, uh, I guess, manage the expectations here and that the commission uh, generally does not endorse any one organization or one proposal. Uh, in, instead, the way that we will approach these issues is, uh, and, and this is what we've done in the past on, on a, a variety of different topics. Uh, we will hear ideas uh, and then uh, when we feel the commission is, is sufficiently briefed, uh, provides those ideas in, in the form of either a resolution or a letter. And, and in, in that resolution or letter, we will recommend um, approaches rather than specific organizations. Um, so I just wanna make sure that that's, that's the role that we can play here is, is that we can talk about the approach that you are making um, 
and, and the strategies here and, and how that can interact with and benefit our small business communities. Uh, but I, I just want to make sure for, for both your sake and for our commissioners uh, that it's not appropriate for us to uh, say that one organization should, should get funding or endorse one organization. Um, so we, we, we probably won't dive into that side of that. So uh, with that disclaimer and caveat, uh, commissioners, do you have any questions or comments? Vice President Zazunas. Thank you. And, and thank you, Vinny and Kristen, for being here. Um, I, you know, the Coalition on Homelessness and, and the other partners involved in, in this report and initiative are, um, you know, really important allies. And I'm, I'm really happy that we're getting this on, on our agenda officially so that we can have, um, you know, this conversation is structurally part of how small businesses can um, support our unhoused community and um, be educated as to the, the resources available to them to do so. So um, I think some of the top level things, um, I am hearing feedback. I don't think that's me. It might just be you uh, coming over the phone uh, into Vinny's phone. Vinny, you may want to mute until it's time to answer the question. Okay. Um, well, yeah, thanks for the presentation. Some of um, the things I want to ask, um, I read the report. I mean, it was really thorough in, in the sense that, you know, you're doing the bottom up, you know, communication and, and feasibility, you know, with the people most impacted by these kind of policies, but you also came with the numbers and um, the funding. So I guess the first question is, where are we at, right? You have $3 million allocated, but um, you know that's waiting on um, a, a ballot measure or um, a, to be voted on uh, so that they, they can start the RFP. That's kind of my first question is like, where um, are we in um, this process? Um, the second question I have is I would love to learn what kind of partners um, with the Department of Public Health that you think would execute this RFP. Um, I do want to note that the, as the Department of Public Health is, is pretty vast in its different offices, but they're not necessarily the most trusted partner when it comes to small businesses and <laughs> some of the nonprofits that that they contract with to um, oversee some of the license categories that small businesses have or some of the, um, you know, public health concerns um, that are in code under the Department of Public Health have led to um, like volunteers and kind of nonprofit cohorts. Um, kind of just reporting on small businesses um, instead of giving them, you know, the proper tools to handle something. Um, there actually are some codes within DPH also that are anti-loitering codes that small businesses and the police, um, you know, or the police are, are um, make visits on, for those codes inspections. So I think like that might be a long-term conversation is how can we, um, look at the existing landscape of like 
nonprofits um, contracted to enforce um, public health and small business nexus and, and where we can work on building trust there, um, if that is the route that, that this is gonna go. Um, and then like small business training and education was a big piece of your report, um, but I didn't really see any specific proposals around how that would, how that would be conducted. Um, right now, small businesses kind of just call the police for everything because we aren't really given a rap sheet of phone numbers for how to report hazardous waste versus, you know, how to um, deal with, um, you know, a safety issue. Um, so I know I'm throwing kind of a lot out there, but um, those are the main questions I had. Yeah. Um, where are we at? And um, what what do you envision as as the kind of training component for small businesses? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Suzunas. And again, Tristan, I'll I'll, I'll tackle I'll try to tackle this. Um, as as I mentioned, um, that there there is a three million dollars allocated for some sort of uh, alternate response. Um, um, that that the mayor can spend it at any point. Uh, my understanding is it's currently sitting within the Department of Emergency Management, um, and uh, before they decide uh, to issue an RFP, a call for a request for proposals, um, the Department of Emergency Management right now is convening a number of stakeholders to talk about um, uh, what an alternate response would look like. This is part of a, a larger national conversation around transforming 911. Um, it's not just happening here in San Francisco, but it's happening in Oakland, it's happening in Sacramento, and it's happening across the country. Um, you know, uh, there are initiatives to establish a separate suicide line. There's initiatives to establish a 988. There's an initiatives to reconsider how 211 responds to the needs of, of communities that are not necessarily emergency, but still require a coordinated response from the community infrastructure. So um, a ballot initiative is not necessary. Um, what, is, what is necessary is for us to not let perfect get in the way of progress. Um, we do believe as a coalition that the CART proposal is a good proposal. It's built on um, the success of other proposals, including the one that most people know is Cahoots in Eugene, Oregon, um, where you know uh, a significant number of calls have been diverted out of police responses towards a community-based provider. Uh, um, at this time, you know, because the RFP process has not begun, we we as coalition members um, don't necessarily lift up any one community provider or another, but you know, um, there are a number of community providers that have expressed interest in serving in the role of, of being that coordinator of, of, of sending responders to calls for service involving the homeless. Um, and you know, to your other question about training, um, it would be up to the, res uh, the provider who fulfills the RFP to submit a proposal for a full training module. Um, thankfully, because other alternatives exist throughout the country, there, there is existing training material from say Atlanta or from uh, Denver or from uh, uh, the transforming 911 convening that's happening through the University of Chicago. 
So there is a body of work that um, uh, whoever eventually fulfills the RFP can work from to understand how best practices that have already been identified can be applied here in San Francisco. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's great. And I think um, a question maybe we would have follow up if we talk to SFPD again is how does this make sense with their new reporting system, which they mentioned to us last time, um, you know, with all these changes, it, it, I know it's going to be um, a lot to translate, you know, these, this new product, these new protocols to the public. So um, we'll, we'll stay tuned for, for how that plays out. But I think the intent behind this is, is what we were very interested to hear. Um, and I think our role in, in understanding the landscape of where small businesses um, interact with um, our unhoused neighbors is, is not just alternatives to calling the police, but understanding um, where there's other codes that are subjecting small businesses to, um, you know, maybe make a certain call that, that they otherwise wouldn't. I mean, we, we have um, a lot of broken window era codes still on our books that are with agencies outside of PD and DPW that kind of force small businesses' hands. Um, so I think, you know, our role would be to how do we help in this conversation modernize um, our, our protocols across the board to be more of a compliance um, and compassionate response. So I think uh, we're, we're there with you. Thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Huey. Hi, Vinny. Hi, um, Kristen. Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, I, I just, I guess I had a couple of questions. One was that I noticed, um, obviously, your presentation was very much kind of um, comparing, you know, traditional police response to um, having a much more compassionate response to individuals. And, um, you know, I, I don't think anybody can disagree that that's what we want for for all of us to have a more compassionate response to to all humans and all people and all all beings um i'm wondering how though this takes an account for the um the the uh, street crisis response team that's already been in action um how this program is different and how I have a crazy dumb situation over here, but um, just wondering how um, the, this uh, the CART coalition differs from the street crisis response team. And then secondly, um, is there an appetite to work collaboratively with the, the street crisis response team that's already been in um, action to enhance and grow existing kind of seated measures? Uh, and I'm uh, thank Crazy dogs here. <laughs> Kristen, I'm happy to, to take this on too. Um, uh, thank you so much, Commissioner Hui, um, uh, uh, for that question. The, from the, 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 the calls for service that the, the coalition that 
established the compassionate alternative response team uh, examined um, were all C-level calls. So um, these are non-emergency calls. The way that the Department of Emergency Management um, structures a call for service, there are three levels of calls of which there are sort of self-determined response target response times. Um, A-level uh, calls typically are um, immediately life-threatening um, and um, have a very quick response time. Um, the street crisis response team, as I understand it, was uh, structured to respond to the second tier of priority calls, B-level calls. Um, and then there is a third uh, priority level, which is non-emergency, non-life-threatening, C-level uh, calls, of which in 2019, as I, as I mentioned, there were over 65,000 C-level non-emergency calls um, that were made, and, and, and an SFPD police officer was dispatched in response to those calls. This analysis was done in collaboration with um, Robert Smuts of the Department of Emergency Management, um, as well as uh, members of uh, the Department of Public Health, um, as well as a representative from the mayor's office. And so the analysis that was done was, was very careful uh, in, in, in acknowledging a very um, small but, but very uh, burdensome uh, portfolio of, of non-emergency calls that we felt would be better situated for a community response and not a police response. And so uh, that, to your first question, hopefully that adds a little bit of insight. Um, additionally, um, you know, the, part of the CART proposal includes establishing uh, and convening an ongoing uh, collaboration, learning, and adaptive task force. Um, this is a, a, a group of dispatch response providers that would come together to study both successful and less than successful responses so that dispatch protocols could be uh, updated on an ongoing basis. And so those are the two aspects of the report that I think might provide some more information to your questions, Commissioner Hui. Do you know uh, the difference between a C-level and a B-level call? Um, uh, I will defer specifically to the, the DEM. I do understand that I believe that the goal is to um, provide a, a response time of, 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 of about 20 minutes for a B-level call. Um, and right now, the median response time for a C-level call is typically somewhere uh, uh, near an hour. Th that's the target response time. Um, so that gives you a sense of the level of priority there. Well, I'm just wondering, like, what would be considered, like, a B or a C-level, more so than the average response time? Because, I mean, like, when I um, – this happened to me personally when I was walking down the street and um, – we were kind of accosted by somebody who was having some sort of mental health crisis and um, they were threatening um, threatening us. And I felt like, my gosh, this person definitely needs help. Um, I'm not going to be the person to try to like do anything right now. I was walking with my daughter and, um, but I called or the person behind me was calling 911 already and I asked them to ask for the street crisis response team and they were there right away. 
And I know the average response time in December for the street crisis response team was about 15 minutes, I think, or 16 minutes in December, and cumulatively 15. So I know it was pretty quick and it was definitely, my experience was very quick, but I wasn't sure exactly what had elevated this call to, you know, was it that I asked for it specifically because I knew about the program or was it because of the threatening nature of the situation or, you know, like, I'm just kind of wondering as a regular, you know, resident of the city, I, I think if you do ask for it, you will get the street crisis response team. So that was my understanding of it. So I'm kind of wondering how, if there are certain things within the dispatch protocol that uh, raise it to a certain level versus another. Yeah, I was going to take. Yeah, I was going to take a stab at it. I I think what you described, uh, Commissioner Healy, was exactly the difference between B and C is the potential threat to elevate to um, uh, a life uh, uh, harm, and um, so the difference, for example, would be somebody who maybe is blocking a sidewalk. Um, mm -hmm that would be a C, C priority call and someone that is uh, making abusive threats, that would be a B, B level call. And if someone had a knife, that would be an A level call. Perfect, thank you so much. And, and just to add to that, um, um, uh, you know, I would, I would refer to DEM, they have a, um, uh, a, a whole description of, of dispatch and priority uh, tiers. Um, but, you know, uh, so I, I'll defer to DEM for the specific sort of classifications for the calls, but, but just for context in 2019, FFDEM fielded over 1.2 million calls. So we're only looking at, you know, the 65,000 over 1.2 is a very small number of DEM calls, but, but a significant enough that would unburden the emergency response system so that, um, as well as uh, police resources uh, towards uh, higher priority issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Vinny, let me follow up on that. So uh, I think if I heard you right, you're saying uh, roughly about 5% of the calls to DEM are uh, triggering the, the crisis response. What, what are all those other calls? Are they just general, uh, uh, what's the word, um, you know, checking to make sure they're okay kind of stuff? Or what's the difference between the 1.2 million calls and, and the 65,000 calls? Thank you, uh, Commission President. I, I unfortunately, um, out, of, out of the scope of my knowing, I, I, I don't, I don't really, have information about the 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 other calls, <laughs> but okay. but what I what I will what I will say is this is that you know I I, I think um, there are a number of different bodies at the city, including the budget analysts responding to requests of multiple board of supervisors committees that have studied um, uh, emergency responses and consistent at least through the reports I've read through 2016. There has been an ongoing conversation around um, uh, uh, an over response from our uh, from our from our police department to a number of incidences that 
that could be responded to. Um, not everything requires um, such a such a, a, a heavy response. And you know, one one facet of our of our coalition was really censoring the experiences of 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 of, of the unhoused, but also the the community of individuals that have experienced police violence. And and we know that in order to reduce police violence, we absolutely have to reduce the number of of unnecessary interactions with the police. And so that's the perspective that we're coming from here at, at, at the, the, the CART coalition. I think we're all aligned with that. Uh, I don't think there's anybody on the commission that disagrees with that. And I think we heard uh, something very similar from Deputy Chief Lazar when uh, he was here at, at the uh, last meeting. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about, I guess, the uh, tri triage aspect of this. I, I mean, just a, a a casual point of, well, actually, let me double back. Um, Kristen spoke earlier about an organization uh, that uh, she had been involved with that had wound down called Take, Taking It to the Streets. Did I, am I getting that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So what, um, what worked and what didn't work about that program and, and how did, how is CART in improving upon it? Yeah, so that program uh, was very effective from a merchant perspective because we had a very direct, you know, line of, of communication to a resource that could be responsive on the street and, and you know, present very quickly, right? And so it was, um, also a benefit because the the resource was hyper localized as i said they really understood the right. population in our neighborhood um you know I, I would i would i would hazard a guess that you know the length of homelessness by individuals in our in our neighborhood varies from you know a few weeks to uh you know 10 or more years and so to have you know the people that that know the folks that have been in the neighborhood for you know a year or longer, and you know whether or not they have mental health issues and challenges, you know um, the, the the primary response that we haven't in, in without without that organization is to call the police, and the police have the ability to essentially fifty one fifty someone, um, you know ask them to move along, um, but they don't. But they but what we don't have is that resource that is is like a hot team resource that is like a community-based organization resource that can assist that person um, through whatever, you know, um, challenge that they're experiencing at that particular moment. And that might be more of an issue related to the merchant's concern, right? About um, just side, sidewalk blockages is a very consistent one. Like, you know, somebody who is regularly sleeping in your doorway and your staff is having confrontations with them in the morning when they're trying to open up the, the storefront. I mean, those are pretty typical every, everyday kind of experiences that our, our merchants experience that, that, that like, you don't want to have to call the police to ask the person to move from your doorway. Sure. No, I'm totally clear on that. I was trying to, um, I guess, figure out, uh, you know, so I, I so first of all, I, I agree and will stipulate that having uh, local response that's familiar with 
the people and are able to track them over time will, will probably lead to more effective responses. Uh, and it sounds like that's what taking to it to the streets was. You know, and, and you said it was effective, so I'm just wondering. Uh, why, why does it not exist anymore? Yeah. It has more, it, why it has, has more to do. Okay. So supervisor breed was our supervisor when taking it to uh, streets was funded. And then as uh, she became mayor, <laughs> um, it was replaced uh, the contract was replaced by another organization called downtown streets, which primarily focused on the trash picking up aspect and not the, um, uh, uh, you know, working with individuals in the community and bringing, you know, bringing them on a path towards ending their homelessness. Um, okay. And so th th that that was just, you know, priorities of the supervisor. And um, do you, so when we talk about uh, CART, is, uh, is this anticipated to be, uh, you know, pres presumably it's anticipated to be citywide? So, so uh, Vinny, Vinny can answer that as well, but it's my understanding that because of, you know, the, all the things that we were talking about, the standing up new services like the skirt team, and then I think you were referencing the SWERT team, there's also a SORT team, right? So there's street crisis response, there's street wellness response, and there's street, um, what's it, sorry, what's, it, what's the O1? <laughs> um, but, but basically that, that those, um, entities are also being st stood up at the same time. Um, and there is this I notion of doing more of like a pilot uh, initially. And so it's my understanding they've been talking about centering CART resources initially in the Western half of the city. And again, also really primarily because, um, you know, SKIRT is operating most heavily in the Tenderloin at this point. And the rest of the city is 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 actually seeing less service response. Um, we're seeing concentration of hot team and HSOC resources and skirt resources in the tenderloin. So one one discussion that has been had around this particular, um, you know, getting this this three million spent is to issue an RFP and have that be initially a smaller scope on the western side. And is there um, a? a you know, I mean, usually when you spend money in business, it's not necessarily like you get half as much money, you get a business half the size, like there's certain startup monies, and then there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess additional monies that, that that scale differently, depending on where you are in the, in the business. What do you think is, uh, to pilot this program, what do you think is the, uh, um, minimum amount of staff or, or what, walk me through what it looks like as a minimum viable product. That, that, thank, thank you. Um, if, if I may, I, if I'd like to try to sort of talk this through, you know, um, Please. Um, as, as, as someone who operated a small business for over a decade, I, I encountered budgetary constraints all the time, as well as, as, as human resource constraints. Um, the, the CART proposal we think would be most effective if two things um, were implemented, um, if it were citywide and if it were available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So the, the 6.8 million that was initially proposed was based on those two assumptions 
that they would respond to the 60,000 calls that were identified in the analysis. Um, you know, I, uh, based on that logic, if we were to um, narrow the window of dispatch codes that that CART would be responsible for, um, you know, there would be some need for uh, infrastructure in order to make sure that you had a dispatch team and response teams available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, but maybe just narrow which codes, which C-level non-emergency codes uh, would be assigned to CART to respond to. Um, other ways we know that like the call volume would probably be much higher um, in, in the early mornings through the, the, the evening and lower after 10 p.m. But we also know that people experience, experience homelessness after 10 p.m. as well. Um, but uh, uh, in, in the slides that I provided to Carrie, you'll see an appendix with a list of the uh, dispatch codes, um, which were initially considered with the $6.8 million budget. And I would say that, you know, with, a, with half of that budget, my recommendation would be to focus in on a, a, a handful of those dispatch codes and, and make the service available citywide and 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I guess looking at it from the outside in, I, I can see why policymakers would be a little nervous about um, putting a lot of budget into something that um, is still uh, finding its footing. Uh, I know when we try and do new stuff in our business, we'll, we'll start with something pretty small and, and just uh, validate it uh, and then scale it up. Uh, and I would say um, <laughs> the vast majority of things we try don't work uh, or don't work as we thought they were going to work. Um, so, uh, you know, I can certainly understand from your perspective that a citywide program 24-7, if everything else works perfectly, that would be the most effective program. I, it's hard to argue with. I, I guess the question is, um, it, it, it sounds like there's still some... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around where this program fits in. So you have the 65,000 calls, but it's it's a little unclear what what make what makes up those calls. What makes them different from the other 1.2 million calls? Um, and uh, I mean, it's not a critique. It's it's more just I'm wondering if there would be a way to uh, get a, uh, a minimum viable product up just to show how it could work. Like, I mean, what would this program look like if it was, say, for example, just the hate? Who would you need to have to make a, a single neighborhood work? I mean, is it uh, a dispatch person, a response person? Uh, does every call need to have multiple response people or just one? Um, uh, are, are there other services after uh, that that CART will do after just the initial response, or is it just about we get the call and we send somebody out, and that person assesses and then triages where the unhoused person or person going through some kind of crisis needs to go next? 
no, these are these are all valid concerns that we've we've heard on the listening tour of this proposal. I, I will say that um, you know the 65,000 calls encapsulate uh, nine different dispatch codes, um, ranging from anywhere from um, well-being checks to sit light ordinance violations to panhandling um, to uh, suspicious persons and suspicious persons in a car. So um, you know th there is some uh, basis for the 65,000 as it relates to the dispatch codes with the highest prevalence of being associated with someone that identifies as, as experiencing homelessness. Um, it's a little bit harder to disaggregate the remaining calls because DEM does not assign uh, a sub uh, code to calls that directly identifies whether or not a code, uh, whether a call involves someone that's homeless. So, for example, it doesn't hashtag homeless, uh, you know, that your 911 call. Um, and so we, the analysis that was done, what the dispatch codes where uh, Robert Smuts and a number of other city uh, agency representatives said, these are the dispatch codes with the highest proportion of individuals we know that are experiencing homelessness, if that, if that helps to contextualize. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That helps. Could you speak to the part about what it would take to, uh, say, launch CART on a single neighborhood basis? What, like, what, what does the staffing look like on that? Well, um, I, I, I do think at, at the minimum, um, you, you need um, a, someone to operate dispatch. Usually a 24-hour program requires at least three shifts a day. So, you know, three shifts a day, uh, 21 shifts a week. Um, and so, you know, in order to pay a, a meaningful wage for highly skilled work, which is what this is, um, that would that would help inform what the staffing would be. Um, but it's at least three shifts a day, um, and at least teams of two, because anyone doing this sort of outreach work should never do that outreach alone. Okay, uh, so uh, so at least two people uh, responding to every call. That's right. Okay, and, and that's just the street level dispatch response call. That would be the first of the two prongs. You know, the the second prong would be any follow up uh, uh, outreach, uh, whether it's educating, um, you know, the 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 caller who who asks for service about the outcome, which is oftentimes there we we don't inform citizens after. A, a response call what the outcome is. And so part of the endeavor of CART is to, to close that loop, which is to say we, we can't disappear the problems off of our street just by calling 911 and 311. And then the frustration comes when after calling for service, um, the, the problem still persists. And so part of the CART response is also to say, let's close that loop and make sure we follow up with our community members to say, how was this resolved? And what can we do to continue to make sure that we resolve this in a way that exits people out of homelessness. So would you say that the uh, CART person is playing a sort of quasi caseworker role with respect to the person experiencing homelessness? I think their uh, case navigating and, and care navigation is, is something I think um, that is not necessarily the primary function of a CART responder, but it's important for them to understand their role in handing off to a capable care navigator um, and, and, and the necessary forensic, you know, the, the, the details that you need to collect 
so that you can properly do a warm handoff about someone, um, uh, you know, I think what, when you're cited for a sit-lie violation, the, the details that you intake are very different than, say, someone who responds and is trying to center the solution around the needs of the unhoused individual. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and, well uh, and I can see why um, limiting the dispatch codes would help you narrow in on, on uh, specific protocols for how to respond and, and you could expand laterally from there if that, if, if, if that was working well. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the pilot part of this, but um, uh, I think we are at the uh, uh, approaching the end of our time and we, we probably need to uh, check in with public comment unless any other commissioners have any comments or questions. Um, I have a quick question. Please. The, on the, the sit-lie ordinance, I mean, I, I can't believe that that still <laughs> exists in its form, but is that's kind of a separate process that that you all are proposing since that needs to be legislated off of off, off of the books that's that's kind of um going to be like a parallel initiative to this or that's my question yeah I, you know that i i that it's such a byzantine response that we have now to to calls involving individuals who are homeless um, I, I would say that, you know, part of this is just educating about what, what is, what is the, what do we want uh, as the result of a call for service? And, you know, what we, what, what's the purpose of calling when someone is quote unquote violating the sit-lie ordinance? What is, what is the, what is the end result that you want? And as a community, the ongoing discussion has to be at the end of the day, how many, do, do we want to resolve a call for service that truly exits someone out of homelessness? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I would just, my question was a matter of like changing the phone response protocols system seems like one thing, but isn't sit lie in a law in its own right? Yeah, I can answer that. Um, uh, Sitlai was an ordinance that was passed by ballot measure. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it's a uh, interesting, uh, it was sold sold to the voters as like a tool in the toolbox that police wouldn't necessarily use. And so we've actually seen it unevenly used mm -hmm. across the city. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you read about the Tenderloin emergency plan and them stepping up with um, police response to drug users. They they referenced that they were going to start to use SITLI um, as part of that response. Right. Um, but I, I would say for the most part, um, there are some real challenges with um, city liability around SITLI that came up after SITLI passed. Um, there was a um, uh, a court case in Boise, we commonly refer to it as Boise, uh, that uh, basically said that if you're not providing an offer of shelter, then you cannot 
uh, cite or arrest a person um, for simply existing um, in in space because they have no alternative, right? And so, as a as a practical matter, um, we've seen sit lie uh, be um, not uh, regularly used by the police uh, because those shelter resources have not existed, and the and the police do not have that resource to offer. But I think in the case that it, it bringing it back to the Tenderloin Emergency Plan, I think they have a more coordinated response between police and the hot team or the HSOC team that would be providing those shelter offers that they would be working to provide that coordinated response so that they would be um, covered by the, the, you know, the potential legal mm -hmm. challenge there. Yeah. Okay. That was really helpful. Thank you. Um, I'll just add that it seems like one of the most challenging aspects here is how to triage the initial call uh, from the, uh, the the business, regardless of what is actually triggering the call, whether it's sit, sit lie or sidewalk blockage or somebody in crisis. But, um, I, you know, I guess I'm a in theory, it sounds like a lot of different phone numbers would work, but I'm a little skeptical just knowing how business owners are uh, and how, how difficult it is to train employees. Um, yeah, and, and that's why I think uh, Vinny will tell you that this is actually envisioning using the same number, 911, as a, and a way of channeling those calls to the appropriate response. Mm -hmm. Right. And so because because those calls are going to 911 today, yeah. uh, you know, some people may for the same circumstance might might call hot team, might call, might might do a 311. Right. So it, I think we're actually seeing people making different choices already about where they're trying to address that concern. Um, but what what cart would be would be specifically a part of the 911 response mm -hmm. it would be calls that would be allocated to a community response because they don't rise to the level of of, of requiring or needing a police response so are you saying that it would that people would all call 911 and then dispatch would then correct mm -hmm. right so so an aspect would be diverting calls go through 911 and 311. Um, and the proposal for a specific hotline for CART was directly in response to feedback we got from CAHOOTS. Again, the program in Eugene, Oregon, which a lot of people have lifted up, they, they started without a direct hotline for many years. And they realized that there were a significant number of individuals who wouldn't call for any service at all. And one of the, their biggest suggestions in, in developing our CART proposal when we consulted them, you know, they, they, they said it would be really beneficial to have a conversation as to whether this community would benefit from a hotline that was dedicated to individuals who wanted to call specifically because they knew a non-police response would be dispatched. And so that came out of conversations uh, among the, the coalition of stakeholders. Uh, including for many unhoused individuals. A lot of unhoused individuals would prefer not to call 911 or 311 because um, of previous experience um, maybe not being ideal. So they, they don't want to start at 911. They want to start somewhere else. 
That's a tricky and challenging aspect. Um, I feel at least a little bit smarter uh, after uh, this presentation. Uh, by the way, I, I want to say uh, for the benefit of the public, uh, Vice President Suzunis mentioned a report. I don't believe that reports in our supplemental materials, but if you search CART SF on Google, you can find it fairly quickly. Uh, and it is a, uh, uh, as Vice President Zuzuna said, a, a, a wonderfully comprehensive report with um, uh, polls and, and questions uh, with uh, the, the unhoused community on, on what, um, you know, they would like to respond with and, and uh, or, or the kinds of responses that they would find uh, effective uh, to your, your last point, Benny. Um, I, I think that's uh, uh, another complexifier here is, is the experiences people have had in the past might not make them inclined to use 911. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of stuff to think about here. And unfortunately we can't, get quite up to your full IQ in just one half hour uh, presentation. Uh, but we certainly appreciate uh, both of you sharing your, your time with us. Uh, and unless you have any uh, last things you wanna say, we'll, we'll go to public comment. So uh, with that, uh, uh, Matt, are there any public commenters on the line? We have two people listening to the meeting, but no one has raised their hand. Uh, callers, if you want to make a public comment, you can hit star three to raise your hand. We'll give you uh, another 20 or 30 seconds in case you were calling in. I know that was a long presentation. And Matt, has anybody raised their hand? I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, uh, no one has raised their hand. Okay. Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, Vinny and Kristen, uh, I want to, on behalf of the commission, comm commend you for all of the work you do on this incredibly difficult and vexing issue. I appreciate you taking time out this evening to um, try and make us a, a little bit smarter about this stuff. Um, I hope we can play a, a helpful and positive role in, in contributing to this conversation. And uh, thank you for everything you do and thank you for the presentation. And we were uh, honored to have you here tonight. Thank you. Thank, thank you, commissioners. It's uh, always a pleasure to, to present before you all. Wonderful. All right, next item, please. Item three, amendment to commission rules of order. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will review and may take action to amend the call to order and roll call to include an acknowledgement of the Romaitish Ohlone community. Article three meeting, section 11, regular meetings. And the director and I are um, happy to answer questions, but this basically uh, would codify your resolution about the land acknowledgement and put it into like official meeting protocol. Um, I, I think we've already voted on this. So I think, so I believe the commission had a resolution to incorporate this into meetings, 
but not, it wasn't, it wasn't like put into our actual, like actual rules of order, if that makes sense. Okay. Two different steps. <laughs> Got it. Uh, okay, so um, commissioners, any comments or questions? It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Matt, are there any public commenters on the line? There's no one in line for public comment. Okay, seeing none, public comment is closed. I move that we accept the rules of order uh, amendment. Seconded by Commissioner Zuzunas or Vice President Zuzunas. Is that right? Okay. Uh, I'll read the rule. Commissioner Dickerson is absent. Commissioner Huey. Yes. Uh, President Laguana. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zuzunas. Yes. Motion passes. All right, next item, please. Item seven, commissioner comments and questions and new business. This is a discussion item and allows the president, vice president and commissioners to report on recent business activities, make announcements and inquiries of staff. This is a discussion item. Commissioners, do we have any public, or, or I'm sorry, do we have any public come? Uh, do you have any updates or news items? We are all sleepy, but it has been quite a week. Uh, so I think that is perfectly understandable. I'm in the exact same boat. Uh, okay, uh, I don't see anything. Uh, Matthew, is there any public comment on our lack of comment? There's no one left for public comment. I'm not surprised. Uh, seeing none, public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item eight, adjournment. This is an action item. SFGovTV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Of course, I lost the... Uh... slide language. One second, please. Apology is public. It's reading about all the other things. Okay, we will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco, and that the Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. And I will make a motion to adjourn. I second. Hold on. <laughs> I will make a motion to adjourn uh, in honor of the peoples of Ukraine and the suffering they're going through um, and in solidarity with them. I second. All right, I will read the roll. Commissioner Dickerson is absent. Commissioner Huey. Yes. President Laguana. Yes. 
Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zizunas. Yes. Motion passes with four votes, one absence, and this meeting is adjourned at 6.02 p.m. Great. Thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye, guys.